everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam, and I am joined by my good friend Dave. Dave, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Uh, you know, I'm doing all right. Good. It's, it's a Monday. It's Monday. Um, but I didn't have to work today. So I lazed about, watched TV, went up to the coffee shop just to get out of the house. <laughs> didn't even work. Just got, a, just got a cup of tea and then came home. Got tea at the coffee house. Well, they make tea as well. <laughs> I had a nice Earl Grey. <laughs> Good. Which I do rather enjoy. Do you like tea, Dave? Not much of a tea drinker. No. I used to hate it, but now I, I like it, which is weird. I, I wouldn't say I hate it. I just, you know, being on midnight shift, I drink a lot of really dark black coffee. And so... I default to that. Why to be stereotypical, Dave. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Actually, um, I don't know, had coffee from a coffee shop the other day and, and realized that the coffee that I do drink on midnights probably is not very good coffee. It's like, <laughs> it's literally just tons of Folgers mm, poured into the pot. and The best part of waking up, Dave. Yes, or staying up. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of being alive is Folgers. <laughs> Did we mention that they're a sponsor for this week's episode? <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think we've got any follow-up uh, from last episode. Okay. Um, which is sad. Sure. I so enjoyed Justin's email. I was like hoping for another one from somebody else this week. and Didn't come. No. But we are recording a day early, so perhaps, <laughs> mayhaps that tomorrow Can we receive email. an email. Um, but anyways, well... I guess we can just jump in. I don't have anything sure. worth sharing, I don't think. Other than that, oh my gosh, Dave. Yes. The University of Michigan. We're back, baby. Oh yeah, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? I I just can't even I'm trying to explain to my coworker. This is total sports tangent, <laughs> so feel free to fast forward this. Um I was trying to explain to my coworker what it's like emotionally for Michigan to be good at football again. And I don't think I, he just kept looking at me like I was crazy and he's a sports <laughs> fan. So he understands, but they were so good for so long. And then they were so bad, <laughs> so bad. Yeah. And now they are just kicking butt and taking names. Three straight shoutouts, Dave. Wow. And you know, the last team to do that, don't you? Like last team ever or the last Michigan team to do it? No, last team ever. To do a three-game shutout? Yes. The Kansas State Wildcats. 95? I think so. Yeah, the last time Michigan did it, Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback. Ah. So. I've heard of that guy. Yeah, he's he's. I think he played for the Bears or something. He was a Heisman (laughs) at Michigan. He, uh... I wish he could coach the Lions, too, because they (laughs) are atrocious. He'd coach the Bears. Oh, gross. (laughs) All right. Why'd you have to ruin my moment, Dave? Oh. Another sports thing. There's a, uh, my wife, my brother-in-law sent a picture to my wife, um, of a bears player. His last name is Meredith. He's a wide receiver and his first name's Cameron. Well, my name's Cameron and my That's wife's name is Meredith. Crazy. And so Meredith's like, Oh, it's my, my new favorite football player. I was like, Why does he have to be on the bears? Like of all, <laughs> oh, we got a one in 32 chance and he's on the stupid bears. Yes. But anyways, I guess he's, decent i don't know yeah i don't know all right well that was enough of that um 
tangent, <laughs> vertical section, area, chapter, whatever we want to call it. I like to refer to them as a sidebar. Mm. Yes, a sidebar at the bench. <laughs> Approach. Yes. Dismissed. All right. Oh, man, this is going so well. I can already just see our subscriber numbers just increasing exponentially based on that. <laughs> like I said, first 90 seconds, just... Oh, we're way past 90 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. Yes. Let us refocus, center our chi, or whatever the non-offensive thing is to Christians. I don't know. <laughs> we'll center on the spirit. Sounds good. Um, would you read the Bible, Dave? Absolutely. We're at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Uh, if you are somebody that listens to us on a regular basis and is keeping up with us, we did skip quite a few verses, so don't be... But we already talked about that. Yeah, we stuff. talked about it, but just, just so you're not freaking out going, oh, did I miss it? Did I miss episode an episode? 31 and a half. I didn't get it. <laughs> all right. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord, to the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. All right. Yes. Okay, so first question. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. was it necessary for Jesus to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom? Wouldn't healing diseases and afflictions cause people to believe? You know, I would, I would definitely think that that would be the case, that if there's this guy out there doing miracles, that they would take notice and be like, oh, I want to know who this guy is. But well, yet, the crowds were there for, right? Yes, I suppose. The crowds, yes. And so... I guess that's kind of the, the answer to the question in a roundabout way is that I think the crowds were showing up. And I think we've touched on this even a little bit of just people are there. Uh, I think for the novelty of some of it, I think they're there. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago, even in this country where there was traveling shows, you know, came, <laughs> came in and out of town and uh, traveling salesmen and that sort of thing, which would, uh, draw a crowd long before we had TV and radio and internet and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I think, um, so the, the, the people were probably there for not the best motives. Um, and even the worst motives, heck, whatever gets you there to hear, hear from Jesus is a good thing. Um, but he obviously sees that opportunity, uh, to proclaim the gospel to them. And, you know, I, I guess it probably wasn't necessary for him to p- proclaim it. I mean, he's Jesus, he's God, he can do whatever he wants. But he has this interesting thing that Jesus does is he doesn't ask people to do stuff he isn't willing to do himself. And so he was, to me, he was very good at modeling what he was expecting others to do. And I think if you, if you read this whole section here, um, we, are, uh, we are on the verge of uh, Jesus kind of handing things off to his disciples. 
you know, he's kind of doing all the work at this point. He's the one that's doing all the talking. Boy, do I know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they're all they're all just kind of following him around, just trying to figure out what is going on. Um, and so, you know, I think there's even an an element of as they go through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, that um. Uh, one, that is his real purpose. That's why he came. So he's probably using the opportunity of doing the miracles and gathering the crowds to proclaim the gospel. And then two, I think he's, I, I think there's a very, again, pragmatic thing going on here with Jesus in that he is modeling for his disciples what he wants them to do uh, when he leaves. And so they're probably watching this, taking notes, um, you know, <laughs> I know they had paper back then, but for some reason, I just <laughs> yeah. pictured them all like off to the side with their tablets, <laughs> like from the Flintstones, <laughs> chiseling away. <laughs> so, which then, of course, leads me to the uh, Mel Brooks. God has given me these fifth, these ten, ten, ten commandments. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be in the show notes. But yeah, I think I. I, I did not mean to distract. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I would agree that, yeah, he's, he's definitely modeling what he expects the disciples to do. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's really good leadership, mm-hmm. you know, and I am not one of the people that reads the Bible to get leadership lessons. Like so many um, books and conferences and stuff are kind of about Jesus was the best leader. Well, yeah, he was the best, everything. Um, but I think it is a very practical leadership lesson from Jesus and that he spent so much time showing the disciples what to do and how to do it and building into them and giving them confidence. Cause these were guys that were not in the rabbinical schools. They were fishermen or tax collectors. Like they're, they had already been kind of weeded out. Had they even tried to go to rabbinical schools, like they didn't make the cut. Otherwise, right. they'd have been rabbis, right? Yes, and they were not. And they were not. They were they were uh, manual laborers or the people that everyone hated because they were tax collectors. <laughs> and so Jesus is is reinstilling, you know, confidence and purpose, and um, showing them who he is and what the gospel really is, and then he's modeling it. And that's just an incredible example of how you effectively lead people through life change is you have to show them first. You have to build them up to the point where they go, oh my gosh, I can do that too. And then you, as he will do here later on, just say, all right, go out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think it's uh, an interesting little, because we're, we're, like you said, we're right at that tipping point where pretty soon he's going to send them out to do what it is that you know he wants them to do. Um, but I find your question interesting. Was it necessary for Jesus to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom? It reminds me of that bumper sticker, preach the gospel when necessary, use words, <laughs> which just makes me crazy. It's always necessary. Uh, well, exactly. You don't, um, cause otherwise, wow, I won't offend. I almost said something there. So <laughs> I caught myself. <laughs> The masterclass, the slightly offensive Christian. Podcast. Oh, definitely yes. Um, because I just the idea of proclaiming 
Like the gospel is meant to be proclaimed. That's its that's its purpose, right? It's not the um, we're not going to just sit on this good news and not share it. We're we're not going to hide it under a bushel. No, no. we're going to let it shine, <laughs> Dave. Um, so I think your question is is good, but it almost seems like um, yes, it was necessary. Yeah, because it's the gospel. So it's like um, it's good news. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a metaphor that makes sense. Like, is it necessary for me to drink this beer? Yes, Dave. Yes, it is it's necessary. necessary. Beer is for drinking. It's not for... That's its purpose. It's not... Yeah, it's, it's meant to be drank and enjoyed. Food is meant to be eaten to sustain your body. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, Michigan is meant to be a good football program. Like this is just, it's just true. It's just how the world is designed. Right. And so, yeah, I think the gospel, regardless of it's of whether it is Jesus himself or it is Paul or Peter, or it's a pastor in a village in China, who's preaching the gospel, even though it could cost him his life, the gospel is meant to be proclaimed by anybody mm-hmm. and everybody. Yeah. And I think, one of the things that's implicit in proclaiming the gospel is that God is glorified. You know, even if people don't hear it, even if they don't respond to it, God is glorified by the proclaiming of the gospel. And, you know, I even think about John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus and proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, is that necessary? Is it really necessary to have a guy go before the Messiah to say the Messiah is coming? Well, <laughs> so he was, uh, John the Baptist was to Jesus as Flava Flav was to public enemy. That's all I'm saying. Went before him, went yeah. before, <laughs> laid the foundation. He had a big old clock around his neck. Yes. Uh, so that's, you know, I think they're, um, uh, the spoken word is, uh, uh, important in who, uh, God is and how uh, he functions, because you think about creation. God spoke things into existence. When, when uh, you look at John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, and the word was with God. And, you know, it's, there, is, there is power in that. And that's the other thing, too, is that's how things were done uh, for the longest time, was it was, you know, the message was proclaimed and it wasn't about reading books. It was going and hearing somebody, you know, speak and uh, the oral tradition of, of passing down even our history and our genealogy and, and those sorts of things um, that, uh, again, God is glorified through it. And it is, I think, uh, an element of who he is and uh, a part of, um, well, like I said, Jesus is the word logos. I mean, um, and there, there's, uh, incredible power in words. And so, um, I just, I don't, it's just, it's just interesting because I think God was very intentional about when Jesus came, you know, he came in a culture where spoken word was so central to how a message was, you know, you didn't, you didn't have newspapers going out. You didn't have Twitter. You didn't have. What if Jesus came when YouTube was around though? Yeah. That wouldn't be cool. He'd have a bajillion <laughs> views, Dave. Him and little cats. 
Him and cats, yes. Hello. <laughs> That's exactly why he I'm your it. Lord and Savior, Jesus. This is my kitten, Judas. <laughs> Bad Judas. No treat for you. Um, no, but I want to I wanna hang on um, that idea about words being powerful. Because right now, people are listening to us talk words. Right. Um, and the the whole concept of communication to me is... Uh, it fascinates me. I love writing. I love reading. I love doing this podcast. I love listening to other podcasts. Um, and it just fascinates me that I can communicate what I'm thinking or feeling um, to a certain degree to other people. And based on just these noises that I make, they can then associate those noises with the same feeling or thoughts that I have, you know? And it's, it's just this crazy concept to me. Like, uh, you know, when babies are learning Mm -hmm. how to comprehend the noises that they're hearing and they're matching it with it's, it's, it's incredible to me. And even more so when, when folks are deaf and can't hear which means they probably can't speak very well. Mm-hmm. Sign language like that. We have, a, we have a few customers at the bank that are um, deaf or mute and they sign or write. And it just blows my mind that they've never heard the words spoken. They can't necessarily speak them themselves, but they know what they mean. Yeah. But the, and there's still something going on in their brain. And it, it blows my mind. Like not- sometimes I stare at them and I'm just <laughs> like, I don't mean to like give offense. I'm just, I'm literally blown away by the fact that it works. Yeah. Even when the things that you technically need to communicate aren't there, you still can do it. Yeah. Or even like Helen Keller that was deaf and blind and it finally clicked for her and she just yeah, was, it, you know. So I, I think there is something um, very uh, intrinsic to who we are as creatures, as, as beings. Um, about communication. That sentence mm-hmm. didn't make any grammatical sense, but I think that <laughs> <laughs> even when it's done poorly, exactly. it still can be effective. <laughs> I, I think that the, the, uh, the importance of communicating and sharing and give and take and, and all of that is so huge that, I mean, you look at social media and you know, you, you've got uh, Facebook cause you want everyone to know what you're doing and you want to know what everyone else is doing. And then you've got Twitter so you can keep track of all the little stuff and Instagram and Pinterest and Snapchat and whatever the next big one's going to be. Like people are so desperate to communicate who they are and you know, they want to receive um, feedback for that. And mm-hmm. so I think that words are really important because it's one of the few ways outside of art that we have to express ourselves. But I think that so many people, um, myself included, don't take the seriousness, the seriousness of words seriously. Um, and we speak far too quickly without thinking. Oh yeah. Um, and I just like, you, I hear people talk and like every other word's a cuss word. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> like that's, that's how you're, that's how you're going to choose to contribute to the world. And it's not like, you know, I'll say it. A well-placed F-bomb in a movie is like, it's well done. I mean, it's, I know it's crass and I shouldn't say it, but like there's the, uh, 
uh, X Men Days of Future Past mm-hmm. when um, uh, Magneto and Professor X go get Wolverine at the try to get Wolverine from the bar, and he it means the, the most well timed f bomb in a movie ever. <laughs> um, but even that served a great communicative purpose, right? But people that choose to just f this blah, 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 and just cuss and cuss and cuss, like yeah, you're, well, you're, you're wasting his- you're wasting an incredibly powerful um tool that you have to communicate to the world and all you're communicating is that you're dumb yep you know whereas and it has not dumb as in like intelligence but just like you're you're not using this gift in a way that you could be yeah you're you're lowering yourself instead of and those around you yeah you know, and so I just I find the power of especially the spoken word. Like if my dad wrote me a letter that said "clean your room" all caps, I'd be like, "Oh, okay, I guess maybe." But if my dad was like, "Clean your room now," okay, Dad, yep, I'm not getting grounded over this one. Like <laughs> the, the 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 spoken word has so much more to it than just the words. There's the context and the emotion and the tone. And I mean, you can say the same sentence in three different tones and you could be sarcastic, serious, or a total jerk. Yeah. Same words, but just based on how they're delivered. And so I've, I've always just been very fascinated by that. And so yes. I, I think to your point, yeah. And Jesus coming in a culture where the oral word was so, um, no, what's the, I want to say respected, but it was the main medium for history and storytelling and and, and yeah it was so stuff. central in a way that we just can't even comprehend it today it, it would because, be as central as text messaging is today <laughs> because for us we know you know anybody that played the telephone game when they were little where you whisper in the ear one person they whisper it in the next person you know by the time it gets around it changes but they were accustomed to paying attention to what was said and you memorized the stories and and you told them you know and it just it's it was just a very it was very different than how we view the spoken word today um but i still think it's powerful regardless of the time when you live so yes yay words <laughs> all right um i I'm going to ask this next question, but I have no idea what you're talking about here. Oh, really? (laughs) Are the crowds today harassed and helpless? What does that mean? You know, um, when I read this verse, probably need to back up a little bit from the question because it says, when he, referring to Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. So he has compassion. I mean, that's, that's huge is to have compassion for somebody. And then it says, because they were harassed and helpless, the metaphor like sheep without a shepherd. And let's see, I'm trying not to go too far into our next questions. So, um, and maybe that's not going to be possible for me because my thoughts are so interwoven. Um, like but, a fine tapestry. <laughs> but but uh but Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion? Because they were harassed and helpless. I don't think they had t-shirts on that said harassed and helpless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh 
you know, no, I get that's our next t-shirt. <laughs> I get that he was uh healing diseases and afflictions, but I think he saw the crowd as a whole and had compassion on them because he he just met them where they were. And I'm I, I don't want to get well um I have dealt with suicide in my job and in my life way more than I had ever desired to. I mean, any suicide is too much suicide. I have um, somebody that I worked uh, closely with in a context of um, mental health and law enforcement and dealing with people that are suicidal. She committed suicide. I mean, she, she worked for the mental health facility uh, where I work. Um, just this week, um, when was the last day I worked Saturday, uh, we had a woman commit suicide after her boyfriend had committed suicide like five days before her. And I will just tell you that, um, particularly with the person that I worked with and I knew her somewhat well, uh, we hadn't been friends for a real long time, but we were kind of in that, um, had worked together on some projects and was getting to know her, never had a clue. Uh, you know, I mean, she was like on, the, and I think she had put herself in close proximity to this stuff because it was something that she struggled with, um, but never let on that that was something that she was dealing with. Um, this uh, poor, uh, this poor girl that, you know, commits suicide a week after her boyfriend commits suicide. Um, it just, to me, I believe we are so good about, and I think I've talked about this before, the false self, this image that we put out there to people, that we have our act together, that do I believe today that the crowds are in the same condition like us as human beings? the masses. Do I believe that we are still in the same condition uh, that the crowds that Jesus saw were? And I, I, I guess I say yes. Oh, I would definitely say And that. so yeah. would, I use, would I use terms like harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd? I would probably say alone and helpless more than harassed and helpless. That's, I, I think alone is a good, is a, uh, is a good, Alone is a good term. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Even people that are with other people are alone. Mm -hmm. um, so. Well, now I know what you meant by the question, Dave. Okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, and, and I think that even just plays into my next couple of questions on there. Um, and... You know, we don't, we don't, uh, the metaphor of sheep without a shepherd, I don't know if we get that um, today. Um, I don't even know that I even understand it. I guess um, there is a sense of... Well, would like students without a teacher be an equivalent metaphor, you think? Um, no one to guide them and teach them and... Yeah, but I, I, I think there's a truly a, when it comes to sheep, sheep are stupid. So, so are people. Yeah. 
People, <laughs> a, a person in general is smart. Right. People in mass. People in mass are stupid. Yes. So I think we're kind of stupid. Um, we, we so, uh, are looking for that that direction, those leaders, those people to tell us what to do. And there, there's even an element of, you know, if a student doesn't have a teacher, they're probably not going to die. If a sheep doesn't have a shepherd, and they're truly, you know, we're not talking Kansas farms that have nice fences around them and protect them. We're talking about, Just you know. open range. Yeah, an open range shepherd in the Middle East where, you know, lions and wild animals are dealing with the sheep. And, um, so I think there is that element of, uh, we need a shepherd. We need somebody to keep us from, uh, destroying ourselves. And, uh, I think we're pretty good at doing that. We're pretty good at destroying oh, yeah. ourselves. Uh, I mean, even if it's just, even if it's just that self-talk that we all do, uh, you know, self-talk tends to be, unless you're narcissistic, I think our, <laughs> I think our self-talk seems to be kind of der- derogatory. To, I really just... am ruggedly handsome. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to let you answer this question because I'm, I'm not this. Uh, what does it take to have compassion on people? Well, I, I, I guess what my, I, I guess I would ask for your answer in terms of what does it take for people to respond in a compassionate way to somebody else? What is it? And I, and I don't know if I'm totally loaded question here for you, (laughs) but, um, when you think about people actually acting and responding in a compassionate way, and again, I'm talking people in mass, not mother Teresa, not, you know, people that are good at compassion, but what does it generally take for us to have compassion on people? Um, I'm guessing here. <laughs> and again, it is a loaded question. So. Well, and I'm just not a terribly compassionate person. Well, let me ask you this. Think about the country of Haiti. Uh-huh. Country of Haiti always needs money. Yeah. It always needs help. What did it take for people to really a respond? A, uh, yeah. Uh, an earthquake. earthquake yeah. An earthquake. Sorry. Um, and so I guess that's like, so tragedy would probably be something that would cause compassion in most everybody. Yeah. And, and so I guess that was kind of what is, is I was thinking about compassion and I, and as I was thinking about what does it take for me to generally respond? What does it take for the average person to respond? It's like, we respond when there's tragedy, you know, when nine 11 happens, people jump in mm-hmm. when there's an earthquake in Haiti, people jump in when there's, you know, it's like when there's tragedy, we jump in, but then we even get to the point where tragedy doesn't even cause us to do anything. It's like a school shooting or a mass shooting anymore barely makes the news. It's like it lasts for that night and then Why it's done. Why did you have to mention that? <laughs> you know, because okay. Oregon, this last Oregon shooting didn't nearly get the exposure it would have if it had been. Did you see what the NRA, NRA tweeted? <laughs> No, <laughs> we're not going to let one deranged individual, uh, threaten our rights. Hashtag second amendment. Yeah. That's to which not, someone I know the- responded, how many <laughs> dead kids is it going to take? Ouch. And I was just like, and that's, um, do we have, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I just don't understand. We are the only country that's, you would consider a modern country that deals with this problem. 
There was one that happened in Australia in like the 70s. And guess what Australia did? Changed their gun laws. Guess what's never happened mm-hmm. since then? Yeah. A public mass murder. I just, I just don't understand why we insist on allowing this to happen. And I just don't get it. And you're talking in terms of guns and... Yeah. Like, I've got no problem with guns. No, I, I don't either. I have no problem with guns. I've got no problem with, with people hunting or going to the range or doing clay or trap or having a gun f- to protect themselves. Like, that's fine. But the, the issue is not for those people. You know? And, I, and, and to me, I can't believe we're talking about this right now. Um, <laughs> gun control is not, we're going to come take all your guns away from you. It's, we are going to instill as many measures as possible so that the people that are actually able to get guns are not the ones that are going to go shoot up churches or elementary schools or colleges. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to go hunting with your kid and teach your kid, you know, sportsmanship with the great do it. I never had that as a kid. No one in my family hunts, but all of my friends that do hunt, they have very fond memories of learning how to shoot from their dad. I think that's a great thing. And so when the NRA says, we're not going to let one deranged man take away our second amendment rights. That's not what gun control is about. Gun control is about protecting people in public spaces. Mm -hmm. Like this is 2015 in America. Apparently we're the greatest country in the world. So I've been told, but we're also the only country in the world that would consider itself modern or the greatest where this stuff still happens. You can't even go see a movie. Guy walks in the theater, blows it. You know, I just, it pisses me off to no end that they would say something like that in a tweet. And it just, it, how can you, in, in good conscience, write that out and send it out to the world when a guy just walked in and murdered a bunch of college students? Right. Like, you're, you're also defending that lunatic. Even though you said, we're not going to let him take it, you're in that, you're defending what he did is okay. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. Just makes me so upset. And <laughs> did you see Obama's response on his, uh-huh. like, public address? You could tell he was fuming uh-huh. like he talked about it there was a uh episode of wtf with mark Marin that that obama was on and we're actually going to link to it and yes wtf stands for what you think about and it's very explicit so you've been warned um, but the interview he does with obama is incredible mm-hmm. and they talk about the gun and the interview happened two or three days after the kid walked into the church in south carolina and mm-hmm. shot them all and he gets very like you can tell his tone of voice changes and he's just like what is the deal like he's, he's, he's like audibly upset that this is still happening and that people aren't doing anything to change it. It just, it, he just like, you can tell like on a base level, he's just pissed. Like, this is so stupid. And I was just kind of like, all right, <laughs> someone who gets it, but sorry, total rant. Soapbox. <laughs> sorry. So the NRA can suck it. That's what I'm going to say. Well, and it's, you know, uh, it's just. There's so much about how we do things in this country that is driven by lobby groups and money. Uh, the reason we drink milk is because of the Dairy Association. You know, the NRA is very pop, uh, powerful, and that's why we have, you know, it, it, it's ridiculous because we get, uh, we get brainwashed in this country by lobbyists, by strong political action committees that have a lot of money. And, um, it's unfortunate because, um, that's what drives our politics in this country is it's money and who has the money has the power. 
And uh, I know you probably wouldn't necessarily make that jump to the Dairy Council and the NRA, but it is why we all drink as much milk as we do. Uh, Americans, I hate to break it to you, but you ever ask anybody from a foreign country what we smell like? They'll tell you we smell like animal fat. So... (laughs) <laughs> I did anyway. have some bacon earlier. It was I, delicious. I, I did too. <laughs> anyway, so back to compassion, which you know, yeah. And so, um, unfortunately for us, so much compassion is driven by by tragedy. Uh, you know, we send money because we see poor starving kids on TV. Heck, for that matter, we send money because we see animals locked up in cages and dogs chained to trees. You know, I mean, we, again, another, and it's just, it's just unfortunate because that's how you get people to act in this country is, is you have to do those kinds of things. And so. Well, it's the same way at sports games too, unless it's a soccer game. But if you're at like an NFL game or a baseball game, let's make noise. Oh, there's a meter. I need to be louder. So the meter gets to the red, Dave. <laughs> but then as soon as it's gone, I'm just going to shut back up. Yeah. We are sheep. We are sheep. We are very much sheep, very much, much sheep. And I guess that's, that's ultimately the point that we're making in all of this, believe it or not. And I think there's, for Jesus, when he sees the crowd, he sees past the mask, he sees past the walls, he sees past that false self that we put up, the how you doing, I'm fine answer that we all give. He sees past that. And I think he really sees us as we are harassed and helpless, lonely and helpless, uh, whatever it may be, like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on us. And it doesn't take a tragedy for Jesus to have compassion on us. And even as I say that, I'm like, well, maybe the tragedy is that we're not, (laughs) we have an eternal destination that took the words right out of my mouth. And so maybe uh, viewing life with an eternal perspective. Yeah, the real tragedy becomes obvious to us. And I know, heck, as I, you know, came here tonight with Cam talking about being stressed out, I'm stressed out by the temporary. I'm stressed out about tomorrow. I'm stressed out by next week. I'm not stressed out because there's an eternal perspective. If I live my life with that eternal perspective, especially being a Christian and believing what I believe, probably wouldn't get nearly as stressed out as I do. But I get so focused on myself and the temporary but Jesus sees through that and has compassion on me, <laughs> which I appreciate. Well, this just leads us right to the next question then, which is, is it possible for us to see people the way that Jesus sees people? Yes. That is, I guess, ultimately the million dollar question is what, is it possible for us to see people the way Jesus sees people? And what does it take for us to get to that point? Um, and I don't know who sings the songs, but "Give Me Your Eyes" is what's like playing. And there's a and there are Christian songs that says, "Yeah, give me your eyes to yeah. see the brokenhearted." <laughs> and the song's and, got a fat beat, Dave. What song am I thinking? I don't even know what it it's, is. I think it's called "Give Me Your Eyes." Give me your eyes. I don't okay. know who sings it. I don't either. We'll probably. I will, link to I will that. reluctantly. <laughs> I will reluctantly out. link to that in the show notes, <laughs> though I will not say that I like it. Yes, the lyrics are the the point of the song provides i think is a very good point i just don't think the song is very good from a personal taste sure so is it possible for us to see people the way jesus sees people and i do believe that it is possible for us to see people the way jesus sees people uh but 
it doesn't happen naturally. That's not where we normally operate from. And I think it begins by asking him say, to truly say, God, help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to see people where they're at, what it is that they're needing. Because even as I'm saying that, I'm going back to these people that I know that have committed suicide. And then on a day-in, day-out basis, put this mask up that everything was fine when clearly it wasn't. And, you know, we all say, if I only knew, I would have done something. And I think the thing that we need to do is to learn to start seeing people the way that God sees people. Now, what does that really mean? What does that mean to see people the way? I mean, do I look at you and suddenly go, ah, he is struggling with this and she is dealing with that? And I don't think so. I think there's got to be a layer to it in between there. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I think I, well, and I guess what I'm kind of getting at is, is I think it, it, it comes down to, uh, it comes down to relationships. Um, and again, it's, people are obviously not going to let you see um, everything that they want to see. But it is getting beyond talking about what your favorite baseball team is doing in the playoffs about, you know. Um, nothing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, neither it. is mine either. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I, it I, gets past talking about the weather. Mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, I was kind of afraid of how you're going to answer this question. Because <laughs> part of me is just like, I mean, I, I am 100% an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't have, I would not, I don't have a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. The friends that I have are enough for me. Like that's, I'm good with what I've got. Um, and I just generally speaking don't have the patience to deal with people which is great because that's what my job is <laughs> just i think one of god's ironies in my life right now like you're just gonna have to suck this one up buddy um dealing with customers at a bank all day oh man um and so i was kind of hoping you were gonna say no and just leave it at that <laughs> and i can move on um because I think you're right that it, it does require a, a compassion for people. Um, I don't have that for very many people at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I have impatience and annoyance for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So if, if I'm, you know, if we, if we as Christians, you know, are called to be like Christ, I think it means that we're called to be like Christ in all ways, you know, in all facets of our life, not just in going to church and being, you know, a good husband and a good dad and, you know, a good employee. Uh, I believe that that also means that I need to be like Christ in his compassion for all people, which for me is like nails on a chalkboard. Um, so I don't know. Like if, if I get to the point in my life where I'm compassionate towards people in general, it will be solely because God has ripped away all of the um, mm-hmm. character flaws that I have that prevent me from being that way. Um, it's not going to be because I tried hard because I won't, try, <laughs> I won't try hard at that Yeah, because I just don't like it. 
and that's not my, um, you know, and I think that's also one of the reasons why, you know, God, um, had Meredith and I get married because she's incredibly compassionate, mm-hmm. um, to everybody. I mean, it's, it's just who she is. Um, and that's something that, that I'm attracted to her, um, for, because I see that and I'm just like, uh, how do you do that? <laughs> I just don't, I don't understand. Um, you know, and she's been rubbing off on me, uh, in other ways That's that good. are good, but you know, it's only been six years since we've been married. So she's got a lot more work to do. Um, pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, yeah, I, I think, is it possible? Yes. I think it, for me, it's going to be an incredibly, um, long journey for God to change me in that way. Cause that's just not how I am. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you ever meet me later and I'm really compassionate <laughs> towards you because of God, not because I'm, you know, some super Christian. Well, and that's, I think even in that, it's not even, I, I, I guess there's a sense of, I don't ever foresee myself being compassionate to everybody. Um, you know, being in law enforcement, you get pretty jaded. I mean, there are, this probably isn't a popular thing to say, but there are very few true victims when it comes to crimes being committed. Um, generally, most people have done something to put themselves in a situation that causes them to be a victim. Uh, the number one thing I would say is alcohol. I mean, alcohol is one of those things where it's just sort of like people do stupid things when they <laughs> um, reach the point of intoxication. And so, you know, even doing a job where you want to help people. Now, the reason that I think 95, 99% of the people going to law enforcement, law enforcement is because they want to help people. You go into the job wanting to help people, and over time you, you help enough people that... Um, that you're like, well, you know, if you would have just locked your doors, your house wouldn't have been burglarized. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. if you hadn't gone to the bar and gotten so drunk and run your mouth, you'd probably still have all your teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you deal with that enough and you start getting jaded. And so I feel like for me, um, having compassion towards people, I was, I was probably fairly compassionate, uh, doing ministry and then going into law enforcement, I'm just like, Oh boy. (laughs) Um, but I think one of the simplest, just practical things where God will show up for you is to simply say, God, help me be compassionate towards one person today. Open my eyes, help me see where they're at and just take a step back. And instead of worrying about myself and how I'm being treated and what I'm dealing with, Help me to be compassionate towards somebody. And uh, there are a lot of ways you can be compassionate towards somebody. I mean, it may be taking the time to listen to somebody that's really hard to listen to and annoying to listen to. You know, um, it, it can be as simple as um, making eye contact and smiling somebody on the street. You know, just asking God, help me to be your vessel. Help me do what it is that can show compassion to another human being today. And I'm confident that he will uh, show up and uh, help us to do that. All right. 
Let's move on to the last two verses. Okay. And just for a refresher, they say, uh, starting in verse 37, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. All right. So what is the harvest, Dave? Uh, I believe the harvest is people that need to hear about Jesus, people that need to hear the gospel of the kingdom. Um, and I certainly believe that that is, uh, that is plentiful. Um, for much of my life, I thought that was people that lived in third world countries. I thought that was people that lived, uh, in communist countries. I thought that was people that lived in, uh, indigenous, uh, tribes around the world that never had, uh, contact with, uh, the modern world. However. Uh, God has really convicted me personally that there's still a harvest, even in places where there's a church uh, around almost every corner. And so um, people need to hear Jesus. They need to hear the gospel. And uh, there is um, plenty of opportunity to do that just about everywhere. Yes. I would agree. So yeah. So the short answer is is the harvest is people that need to know about Jesus. All right. So if that's the harvest, then <laughs> what are the laborers, David? Uh, I think the laborers are anybody who considers themselves a Christian, um, needs to share the gospel with others. And I guess the biggest piece for me is that um, to be a laborer, you don't need to be in full-time ministry. Why you got to go take my questions away before I can even ask him? Because <laughs> you didn't write them down. No, just kidding. I wanted to surprise you. Gosh. Um, yeah. So that means that you don't have to go into full-time ministry. Um, it, uh, it means, and, and, you know, I guess that was kind of the, I, I guess the other thing is, is you also don't have to hand out tracks to everybody that you come in contact with, which oh darn, maybe we need a link to that as well. Cause maybe not everybody knows what a tract is, but um, you, you don't have to be, I personally am not a big fan of cold call evangelism where you just start telling everybody and anybody that you come into contact with about Jesus. Now, if God puts it on your heart to share the gospel with somebody, I highly encourage it. And if you've got the gift of evangelism, which is probably a whole nother story, a whole nother episode, but uh, you probably need to be doing that. But for the average person uh, that may be an introvert, that may not uh, have the gift of evangelism, uh, being a laborer simply means that when those opportunities present themselves, you speak the truth of the gospel instead of shying away from it. Because... One, if you pray for it, God will bring it to you. And two, if you're looking for it, you'll see it. It does not. It does not have to be a cold. Just hey, I noticed you have four cars or four uh, tires on your car. Did you know that there's four spiritual laws? Let me tell you about oh those my four gosh. spiritual laws. That's like, that's like <laughs> the Christian equivalent of a bad pickup line. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. All right. I would. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still a little mad that you took my question. I'm sorry. Me, but um, I think that one of... I, all right, I'm stumbling over my words here. Let me focus. The thing that I take away from that little passage is that 
Jesus is trying to open the disciples' eyes to what's really going on. Sure. The harvest is plentiful. Just look at these, all these people. I mean, the verses leading, the verses in between what we talked about last episode and this episode is all about Jesus healing people. And then here he's healing the whole crowd and he has compassion on them. And it's at that point, I think when he finally realizes like my disciples need to, need to see this, how I, they need to understand how I see all of this. And he just sees all these people as, as the harvest, as, as people that need to be um, brought into the family of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the, the best things that we can do, and maybe this is how we begin to see people the way that Jesus sees people, is to live with the mentality that the people around us all need Jesus mm-hmm. just as much as we do. They are just as flawed as we are. They, they have every need that we need or that we have as well. And the only one that can satisfy those needs is Christ. Yes. And so it's, it's very easy for us to be self-centered and self-focused and especially for people like me to just not have compassion on folks. But if we truly believe what the gospel is, and we truly believe that Jesus is who he said he was, then we need to start viewing the people around us, not as annoyances or burdens or whatever but as people that need to hear the gospel, like you said, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to cold call people. You don't have to stand on a corner. You don't have to hand out tracks. Um, but if we are having, or if we have the mentality that the harvest is there, it's ready to be, you know, to be taken in, uh, to bring people into the family then yeah, those chances of even just sharing a word here, uh, you don't have to, you know, pray the prayer on the first conversation, but just being, <laughs> being willing to know that to, to, to use the farming metaphor again with the harvest, you just planting seeds. Mm-hmm. You're just, you're, you're, you're being compassionate. You're sharing the truth of the gospel. You're explaining that your life and, you know, to use the hip terms now, your story, what's your narrative, bro? <laughs> All that gets stuff. And you never know. You may not, you may not be the person that, that gets to um, witness a person giving their life to Christ, but you may have been someone along the way that helped encourage them towards that. And one person doesn't plow a whole field, especially not in Jesus' day. Now you got a huge track to do it. But <laughs> this, is a, this is a team effort, right? Yes. We are all in this together, all of the laborers, whether you're a full-time minister or whether you just became a Christian, we're all in this together to try and spread the truth of the gospel um, to the people in our lives. Yes. So I just think, to me, it's an encouragement that if I focus on the people around me the way that Jesus taught me to, then his compassion may find its way out of me into other people. <laughs> yeah. And it will be one of those situations where afterwards, hopefully I'll go, Oh wow. Thanks. Like yeah. that was totally God. Cause in a normal circumstance, I would not have had compassion on that person. Um, you know, and I've had, um, now that, you know, I don't, I'm not a full-time, um, pastor and I'm working at the bank. I have 
ample opportunity to talk to people that don't know a whole lot about who Jesus is or what Christianity is really about. They may think they do, but based on what they say, I can tell they've never really mm-hmm. been exposed to what it's really like. Right. Um, and people tell their bankers the, <laughs> like, I feel like the only person that they tell more to might be their barber and not even their spouse. Like, yeah. Like I know stuff that could ruin marriages. I'm not going to share it because <laughs> it's not my place, but like the amount of, openness people have with a banker is super weird. Yeah. So I'm just trying to be present, <laughs> I guess. And yeah. So I don't know. I I just, I guess in a very long winded answer to what could have just been this view, the people around you as people that need to know about Jesus and act accordingly. Yeah, because some of the people that seem like they either have their act together or seem like they're the, the most disinter- disinterested oftentimes can be the people that need it the most. And I know I often operate from the whole, um, you know, if they haven't heard the gospel, that's their own fault because it sure is everywhere. You know, I kind of, well, I don't, I fall into that mentality, I guess is, is how I say it. And I just think this verse very much says, hey, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So, um, and I think that is as true as it is today, is it when, when it was spoken by Jesus that there are people. Even more so. There's more people on the planet now than there yes, was then. And there's people that need him. So. Agreed. <sighs> Big sigh. I think that that big sigh signals that episode 32 <laughs> has come to an end, I guess. Yes. And another hour has gone by. Sad to say, Dave. I think it's time to do our outro. Oh, yes. Yes. So I guess I'll tell them where to find stuff. That would be great. So I don't catch you <laughs> off guard for, As I'm for the 32nd time. <laughs> Uh, if you want to view the show notes, which will have links to all of the stuff that we mentioned um, in today's episode, you can go to masterclassfm.com slash masterclass slash 32. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, you can at masterclassfm. I'm at Cam Brennan and Dave is at 10.8HBO. You can also email us masterclassfm at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So we can uh, hear your thoughts, see your questions, tell us that we screwed up. Like, that's all cool. We just, we want to get in touch. So uh, you can do it that way. And thank you so much for making it to the end of yet another edition of the Masterclass. We thank you so much and hope that um, Michigan beats Michigan State this week. (laughs) They will. Go blue. Yes. Whatever. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye.